0: Hi, I'm Phoebe Lovett and this is Deep Read, a podcast where I have conversations with big thinkers about big ideas. Every episode is accompanied by a further reading list, which you can find at phoebe.substack.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, please like, subscribe and share it with a friend. Thank you for listening. My guest today is the publicist and creative consultant Jia Kuan, raised between Taipei Dominican Republic, New Zealand and Australia, Gia is now based in New York City where she runs the go-to PR firm for the city's coolest and most cutting-edge fashion brands. Clients including Telfar, Loire and Heaven by Marc Jacobs rely on Gia's ability to communicate their work in the way only she knows how, with a fluency that comes as the result of an exceptionally well-traveled life, a global Rolodex of contacts and an insatiable interest in culture both high and low. Gia is also known as one of the nicest, most humble people working today in New York, a rare feat in a city where more aggressive tactics are usually employed as the way to get ahead. On a muggy NYC day in October, we sat down to discuss her nomadic childhood, her early days in and later running the club, and her thoughts on PR in an era of ubiquitous personal branding, among many other things. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Good morning, dear. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. <laughs> um, it's a little bit muggy today in New York. I know.
1: Um, it was actually really warm the past couple of days. It's and, insane. Mm, it's quite alarming. It's alarming. I, I definitely remember a few years ago when there was snow during Halloween, and now it feels like the tail end of summer.
0: <laughs> Tomorrow it's going to be like uh, 27 degrees Celsius. Yeah, it's nuts. Global warming. <sighs> Here we go. Yeah. Here yeah. We go. I mean it's begun, but on days in moments like this, you really are like, Wow, mm-hmm. this is really for real happening. Yeah.
1: Anyway, very British of me to start with the uh with the weather. You just got back from I just got back from a big trip in Asia. Um I was in Seoul. Actually I started out in Paris. It started in Paris Fashion Week. And then I flew from Paris to Seoul, Korea, for a week. And then I was in Shanghai for Fashion Week as well wow Uh, just got back last week you travel an insane amount it seems this year has been the most I've traveled in a while I think Mm. it's it skipped a few years during the pandemic I remember when I first started my business in 2019 that year I was like yay I can travel because I was out Mm. of a job I was like Mm -hmm. I can do whatever I want so I was doing a lot of Personal travel, but this year has been the year of like work travel. Okay. Um, I calculated my flights the other day because I wanted to see. I was like, okay, how much have I flown this this year? Every month on average, I have flown at least three or four times. There, I think the month of July, which is usually really quiet, I flew twelve times because they were I had a wedding and then there was work. And then, how and do you cope with the jet lag?
0: Asia, especially going to Asia from the US, like turns you upside down. I feel yeah. Like.
1: Yeah, it was really bad at the beginning. But um, actually, someone had connected me to a app that helps you with your circadian <laughs> I've got that app.
0: And you're supposed to like have dark shades on at certain times of day to yeah. like, reset. Have you
1: tr- actually st- stuck to it, though? It's kind of hard to stick it's to hard, it. It's hard to stick to it. But there is this thing I got... Um, during the summer, someone gifted me this amazing uh, eye sleep mask that basically... I saw like that on blackout. your Instagram. I was like, I need it, this. It is the most life-changing thing. I have it in my backpack wherever I go now. It um It's Bluetooth. Well, well yes, you, you can charge it through USB. It has a little heating pads on your eye wow. sockets. So it warms it up and... There's Bluetooth speakers connected on the side so you can listen to, I don't know, the rain of the forest or something. And then it's like a blackout. Um, it's kind of amazing.
0: That sounds incredible. Because mm-hmm. so I'm a bit of a, like, difficult sleeper. Yeah. And I always need a lot of, like, devices on hand. To, like, yeah. you know, people can just fall asleep anywhere. mm mm-hmm. I was with Madeline Co, actually the other day. You know, Madeline? Yeah. We were sorry, talking about how, like, so many successful people we know are able to fall asleep really easily. And that's a big part of their success because <laughs> they always manage to sleep even though they're super busy because they can just untap. Yeah, I actually
1: fall asleep really easily. There you go. <laughs> the theory continues <laughs> to be proven right. I think it's just, but people say the theory is that um, also if you're prone to motion sickness, which I am, because I think any type of rocking motion, I'm just like, I'm like, out. Like on a road trip, um, i sleep in for the car? first three minutes. I'm like, well, road trip. And then you'll like never hear from me for the rest your, of the Your Your car body like this, <laughs> you're going to be a great
0: companion. And then you're just asleep on them. Yeah, pretty wow. much. Well, I'll tell Madeline that her theory is correct. Mm-hmm. So you actually grew up in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. I think you spent most of your childhood in New Zealand. Is that correct?
1: Yes. I would say equal parts, um, Taiwan, New Zealand, Australia. Um, the timeline goes that I was born in Taiwan, Taipei, Taiwan. I was there until 5. Um took a stint and my parents moved to Dominican Republic for 3 years. Um, right, as you do. <laughs> as from as Taipei. Do, it's pay. a natural transition. Yeah, and then um and then I went back to Taiwan after 3 years and finished elementary school. And then I went to New Zealand until the end of high school. And then I moved to Australia afterwards for college in a couple of years.
0: That's a lot of clashing cultures Mm -hmm. very much so (laughs) do you think i guess that sort of like the ultimate preparation for living in new york yeah because the city is just like the ultimate clash culture clash like even just walking i mean i live in london it's hardly um incredibly diverse city but there's something about walking through downtown manhattan that you feel like there's like you're hearing you know people speaking in Mandarin or sorry cantonese mm-hmm. people speaking in Spanish. people mm-hmm. like it's just very
1: visceral. It's very culture visceral. clash. Yeah. and i I thought that when I moved to New York, the first thing I noticed was how much I can hear in people's conversations. I don't know if you've noticed this when you're walking in New York. I think it just maybe um when I was the living acoustics. in these, <laughs> the acoustics, and I think the way that the English language is pronounced mm. um. I just don't remember being able to listen maybe it's a proximity of the city too but I just don't remember walking around in Australia being able to hear in everyone's conversations because right. people like the words are a little bit more muted and solid I think when you're talking to each other it feels yeah. a little bit more people talk very loudly yeah here. yeah it's very really really projected do.
0: yeah <laughs> it's like I mean I totally I I really hear that just even walking here from the Subway. I'm like, I heard an English person. You know, like you're getting these constant sound bites. Yeah, overheard in New York. Like, I mean, they're great sound bites. Mm. But yeah, so you grew up. So a big stint was New Zealand, or maybe the
1: bit that you remember most was New Zealand. Would you say I that? would say that because that that was my coming of age. Um, yeah, from the age of I would say like ten to eighteen. I was in New what, Zealand. What was it like to come of age in New Zealand? um You know, like, uh, I think I was a pretty angsty teenager, I would say. So, and I lived in the suburbs of Auckland, um, New Zealand. Is that like rural? rural? It's not quite rural because, so New Zealand is divided into like North and South Island. South Island, I think depending on where you live, is a little bit more rural. It's kind of like what you see in movies. Um, the north island auckland um where i stayed honestly it feels like another so really like a, yeah so it's just very suburban you do have access to i mean the weekends would usually consist of my parents wanting it's like the equivalent of going upstate like you can drive half an hour to an hour and you would You're see right a on. lot of sheep and a lot of land <laughs> and a lot of beautiful things but um my day-to-day felt just very um picturesque suburban uh really pretty houses, very safe, you know. What was your course. cultural exposure
0: at that time?
1: Like, Like, how were you
0: forming your tastes and your aesthetic? Internet?
1: Early internet. So I think, oh, yeah, what a generation. I, I, I got my first cell phone at the age of 16. Right. So um, that was like the Nokia, the Chunky. Yeah. So I'm very, have you seen that series, Pen? Oh my God, what is that? Pin 15? That oh. It's like these two girls. It's so good because they're born in 1986, which is when I was born, which tells you my age, but they kind of grew in um, the early stages of I- AOL, kind of like mm-hmm. internet chat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that series really summed up the equivalent of what my childhood was. Yeah. Um, very similar to what American experience would be, but in New Zealand um, and without the liberty of being able to wear whatever you want to school because we had uniforms so yeah, that same. kind of also added another element right 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 yeah. and what were you i was on msn messenger actually not yeah me here, too actually. i think that's might be i was not never on aol i was on icq what's that, that one that's, that's, like that's a New early <laughs> that's a really early early one i think it still exists it has this little flower icon and every time you send a little message it goes uh-oh it makes a sound. Oh, I'm not familiar. Um, the branding is great, but it was early. It was like a pop-up and that's where you could speak to strangers and it got a little dangerous. And, and, mm. But then later, the Emerson Messenger came on later um, and I used that for the rest of high school. I was really into it. And then I think, what was it? Um, what was the music? And then I was really big on Friendster, which is like yeah. another form of uh, kind of early Facebook. Is that how you were
0: finding then... The music, the fashion, the everything that you... Because not to be um, presumptuous about that part of New Zealand you grew up in, but I would imagine the cultural exposure wasn't super um, dynamic.
1: (laughs) No, I feel like certain things were... um, It's funny because it's almost like you have a parallel universe experience. You have a lot of mainstream music that everyone else experiences that you get, like the Spice Girls, Backstreet Boys, all of those things. Um, But then there's certain music genres that would be really compared to others that like you, in new zealand yeah like i was such an acoustic rocker i mean i think a lot of people were during that time Like yeah. it was like mid-90s um but uh it's kind of like you get exposed to british pop but then also american pop but then there are certain things that probably were big here that we didn't even know about yeah so yeah at the early internet was probably a way of like finding out kind of like your interest in discovering other things um but the day-to-day was very similar to a teenage experience of getting your first CD at a store, you know, um, exchanging with your friends, mixed tapes, things like that. Yeah. Um, like, Prank calls. Yeah. <laughs> Prank calls. The ways we used to entertain ourselves. Yeah. It'd be so funny to go to a friend's house and like look through the yellow pages and like wow. find yeah. someone's name and yeah. call. Yeah. Relatable. Relatable. I was
0: doing crazy shit like that as well. Yeah. And at what age were you like, i got to get out of here?
1: Um, I was feeling a little um, anxious towards, I think I would say halfway through high school. Um, I just felt like, you know, I love New Zealand, but I also felt like, there wasn't really a space for me. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, and I think that uncertainty also added to the anxiety because, um, it almost felt like everyone kind of slightly had a set path. Mm. Um, certain careers were very popular over others. Um, and I also went to a very, um, uh, academic public school where everyone aspired to be either uh, an engineer or something else. It was like very concentrated in that sector. Um, people were really good at math and I was definitely always um, a little bit more in tune with the arts and music. Mm. And um, I think I just wanted to see what else was out there. Yeah. You know, fair I, enough. Yeah, I've always wanted to come to New York actually, but you know, because it was so far away at the time, my parents After high school, they were like, no, you cannot go (laughs) to New York. Calm down. Um, And so I did this thinking thing where during college applications, um, I didn't actually apply to any schools in New Zealand, um, much to my parents. (laughs) My parents didn't realize I actually didn't apply to any schools there. Everything I applied to was in Australia. That Mm. was the closest thing I could, you know, just to kind of get out. um, To into a different, you know, I just wanted to move. So I got into... I was choosing between Sydney and Melbourne and I kind of went for Melbourne um, where I studied actually law at the beginning and then I dropped out and then communications. I've heard Melbourne's a great city. I've never been. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think when I first moved there, it was like so eye-opening because I was like, wow, I'm such a grown-up. Like the city is so cool. Mm. There was something very um, charming about it. There was also kind of that early years of the Berlin fascination. You know, I feel like there's some parallels in terms Mm. of nightlife on how Mm. it was run. There was some, Berlin-inspired, like really, you know, in yeah. Melbourne. Festivals, like they're really big in music, like tech scene, tech, yeah. 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 <laughs> A rave scene. Yeah, rave scene. Yeah, yeah. House I feel like music. Australians are big
0: ravers, big ravers, big drinkers, big drinkers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's maybe something they share because obviously there's the British, the history of British people moving to Australia. Maybe that's what they took with them: alcoholism. Okay, so. <laughs> um so i know when you were in australia you started party promoting is that right sort of like a side hustle
1: yeah yeah so i I moved to australia when i was almost 18 that was my first year of college but the drinking age is younger there so um i was adapted into nightlife pretty early on yeah um just because i was like i was fascinated you know that was also did you ever have zanga so it's kind of like i was such an internet girl it was like the the before tumblr there was Zanga, which is kind of equivalent to a blogspot.com right and um all the cool girls would have it somehow and i would there were these girls in melbourne that i always thought that were so cool and they would have these like early influencers early influencers but Zanga girls and um they would be club girls yeah so i would be like i want to see what what that world is like so um and i actually hit one of them up and um was like i'll be a promoter i'll like do whatever um to start Uh, learning the ropes. So I started out as a promoter and then just over the years, I actually just did that throughout college, a lot of promoting and then ended up being a bottle girl and ended up being a door girl and then ended up being the person who managed or hired the door girl and the bottle girl. And then by the end of college, I knew how to run an entire club night from Mm. the beginning to the end and know how to do budgeting. So it was essentially like a business 101. Right. For us. Useful skills. mm -hmm, So like a group of us, like maybe three or four friends we owned one night um for this kind of like more i would say the crowd is more asian um, club and we would run one night Um, it was called love box (laughs) and uh, the the music was very house leaning and we run it every friday night and then i would hire all all the staff Mm -hmm. Um, i would hire all the bottle girls and then i would also take pictures of you're doing put it, it on the, the newsletter <laughs> early PRs early PR and not <laughs> even knowing what PR had was a, PR hadn't occurred to you still it's funny because I was studying communications at the Melbourne University and I was learning about public relations but it didn't even resonate with me that what I did day to day was a form of yeah. PR yeah. because what they taught you in the textbooks was so different at the time mm. and um I think PR is one of those fields that also is vastly different depending on what industry you're in. Right. And so I think the type of stuff I learned in college really wasn't applicable to, to my day to yeah. because it was leaning more towards corporate communications and right. crisis management or, or right. politics or something okay. or advertising. And that wasn't... That wasn't... Yeah, yeah my, my, my nightlife uh, PR skills <laughs> <Love> wasn't...
0: <laughs> Like love, thing. love Fox didn't need to do crisis <laughs> management exactly.
1: So how did you eventually make it to New York? So afterwards, I had another uh, quarter life crisis. After Melbourne, um, I actually ended up graduating, but I couldn't get a job. Mm. I couldn't get a job. I I knew I wanted to work in PR, but I wanted to work in fashion or arts PR. But I don't know, no one would hire me. Yeah, <laughs> it was really hard to get a um, internship at, as well. I think. Um, I think the circle was just so small. You really had to know someone to know someone. And I think because I worked so much in nightlife and I Mm. didn't really spend my college years really exploring that as much as I should. So by the end of it, when I was looking at jobs, you know, I was cold applying and Mm. um, there were some limitations as to where I could work. And I also worked at, um, during the day, I worked at at ESOP as a retail Mm. consultant. So it was nightlife girl. And then that must've been a small business at the time. That was very, yeah, it was, it's from Melbourne too. So it was very small. Um, I was, that was my retail job for the first three years. That's cool. Yeah. And then I, I, so after college, I didn't know what to do. I was kind of having a little bit of, it was a bit of a rut. Um, I traveled a little bit to Asia. Um, I was also just doing odd jobs here and there. Um, And then I was like, you know what, I'm going to try and see if I can apply for this program in New York. Cause I always wanted to go there um, just to get my foot in the door mm. and then my parents um, my dad at the time was like well if you get in then sure and you know at the time it was Parsons and you know I think it was just perceived to be very hard to get in school right so your dad was like yeah good luck with that <laughs> good luck with that and then <laughs> I got it and then I was like wow and it became a whole deal and I ended up moving to New York without really have ever been here before, except for one time when I was four years old with my parents. Yeah, that doesn't count. Yeah, it doesn't count. So I kind of just came with a suitcase and didn't know anyone and just moved here. I didn't even have a family friend. <laughs> did you move into dorms or no? So I did have um, thanks to my nightlife experience, there was a bartender that I knew who was in New York at the time on a work trip and he um, I helped open Milk and Honey, the the bar oh, wow. here. So he was here for like a couple of years. He was the only person that I knew, and so when I came here, I crashed with him mm. for a few months before just going out on my own, mm-hmm. and then just had to start. What was your first impression of New York
0: when you were like, oh, I've actually moved to this city?
1: I loved it. I remember. Um, I remember I lived in uh, my first apartment was in brooklyn it was a, across from greenwood cemetery and park. sunset park so quite deep yeah. and at the time i mean sunset park it's such a beautiful neighborhood but it's like a little bit more industrial and spread out and um i remember trying to navigate myself and just be like "Ooh, new york is like rough around the edges i mean in so what year roughly was this probably like, uh, like 2010 yeah i mean
0: sunset park at that time i'm sure was that seems really off grid you yeah, know like it now it's gentrified yeah. people have obviously had to move further out as new York's become more expensive but mm-hmm. i feel like i remember going to even williamsburg around 2010 and even that was like mm-hmm. i remember going there and be like where is what is this this isn't a neighborhood this yeah. is like a handful of clubs and like one restaurant exactly yeah. which yeah. is funny to say now because it's like corporate disneyland with every single major <laughs> brand you can think of yeah. lining um this open avenue yeah so true so you're in sunset Park.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sunset Park. And then I remember um I mean I was just so curious. I think anything was exciting to me at that point. Yeah. I didn't even care. I just everything I was so wide-eyed and yeah. I just was so excited. I was You're like, sure I'll get the subway for fifty minutes every time exactly. I need to go anywhere. That
0: makes sense. Mm-hmm. And you were going out quite a lot of the time as well, is that right?
1: Um, you know what? The first year in New York for me was pretty not like quiet, quiet not the right word. I had just gotten here in the summer of 2010. I was getting ready to go on my course, which right. started in September at Parsons. So I was going through orientation, trying to navigate myself, making new friends. And I think I really just wanted to stay in New York. So honestly, the first year I was here, I was very nerdy because <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't want to leave because, you know, it gave me a student visa of a year and a half, right? Um, so I was kind of like in hustle mode. Yeah. I was trying to do really well at school because basically going back to university, I was always a good student, but towards the end of uni, I think I just lost a bit of like stamina or right. I just think because I was going through a rut, um, the last year of college was really tough for me just yeah. because I was honestly, I was going out a lot. I was making a lot of like nightlife money and I was just like, what am I going to do with this the screen yeah. anyway? Fuck yeah. this. And so, um, I didn't do well the last semester of school even though the whole time I was in good grades and then I think also to prove to my parents I think my dad was worried I was going to go to New York and just like screw around basically and so well I was like well I'm here on my own dime and my savings and um, I feel like I was just in a different mentality. You were on your best behavior. Exactly
0: right yeah Yeah. and so you did your course and what was your course at Parsons?
1: fashion marketing fashion marketing did that resonate a little bit more with you yeah i think i mean that was a very hands-on course um yeah. so in a way it was a great departure from you know college education just because that was always very theoretical based and this is a little bit more like what would actually what would you, what would you actually do when mm. you're working in the industry mm-hmm. um and fashion as a field was so daunting to me you no know, i never studied fashion before i was my, my minors were like art history and cultural studies mm-hmm. so this kind of like broke me into the fashion industry a little bit more with mm-hmm. that understanding um and so the course was really helpful I mean like, I think I think with any degree it's like what you make out of it mm-hmm. um I think I did make the most out of it I think I I always overstack myself with internships the mm-hmm. entire time I was there because I just really wanted to stay I didn't know yeah. where go. were you interning um my first internship was with PR consulting mm-hmm. and I was in a closet running <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so fun <laughs> it's so fun um gave me a metro card it's kind of how I knew how to get around the right. city yeah um I did internships in New York when I was really young as well I have like vivid
0: memories of like standing on the corner of like a block in the summer like dripping with sweat carrying like tons of tons bags. of stuff and just being like <laughs> this is intense
1: <laughs> yeah. I totally relate I remember walking into the subway with maybe what was equivalent of like a stacked five or six garment bags you yeah. know like when you
0: look back on it you're like damn that's the kind of thing you can really only do when you're super young and you've got like this you don't question it you're just like sure this is what I'm doing mm-hmm. now I'd be like this is the hell <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh my god but it works it's helpful it's yeah. really helpful yeah Um, So you did the course and then you kind of found your way to Dover
1: Street Market. Is that right? Yeah, I did like a bunch of internships. I think it was in a sequence of peer consulting, Tom Ford, um, a bunch of others. And then ended up um, working at Comme des Garcons as a press assistant for four days a week during my last semester of school because I only had one class, which is on Fridays. So they gave me a job four days a week. Um And then eventually, when I graduated, they offered me you know a sponsorship and so that was my entry into that must have been job. like a very like rigorous place to cut your teeth right. I would
0: imagine that they don 't play games there. no no games are played <laughs>
1: <laughs> no games are played It was really the best um you know, and I think that I was really lucky because coming Ga son as a brand I just had so much respect for um I think that when you're studying fashion, hardcore fashion, you're just like, when you hear the name from the Yeah, it's iconic. Yeah, Yeah. it's iconic. So um, I was really lucky to be there. And then, you know, the team was really small at the time. It was just me and my boss in the press department. And the U.S. team was kind of like a satellite. So it really was quite, quite tight. Um, So everything was run on a really tight ship. and Mm. Because it's a um, Japanese company with also um, offices in Paris. it's it's interesting because it's you know you are working for a very Japanese company in an American setting so there's just so many levels of respect and like Mm. mentality and work methods that you really have to
0: two really hardcore work cultures that are very different yeah like Japanese and American exactly both people like countries that don't play when it comes to work but like the rules of play are quite different
1: yeah yeah just being very meticulous and um it was kind of like my a good first you know job for me because it was kind of like very much like keep your head down and just really do the work and right um, and set like really grow your foundation mm. and do certain things very well. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't more. It wasn't so much of like come here and let's brainstorm and like let me know what you think. No, it wasn't, right. <laughs> it wasn't that. It was more like I really just like really paid my time there, and, mm. um, created my connections and worked really hard. And then like during my time there um they uh you know signed a lease for dover street market so then our job essentially expanded because company garcon um is affiliated with dover street so we ended up basically doubling up our jobs and opened up dover street in 2012 i think and then i was there until 2016 so i was there in six years So you must have met so many people so many honestly a lot of my lifelong friendships and connections have really been from those times yeah um I always say things like New York is I think also maybe with London too it is kind of like if you're going to be in fashion it's a bit of a industry and a city of endurance Mm. so if you're still around Mm -hmm. if
0: you can (laughs) last those many years
1: yeah 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 Yeah. Yeah. it's kind of like you keep your, your those relationships you kind of like trauma bonded together right right,
0: yeah no there's a lot of trauma bonding in the fashion industry for sure people are like yeah it's pretty hardcore Mm -hmm. and I don't know I mean in London I think actually the fashion industry from what I'm reading is struggling a little bit because there's no money in the UK at the moment Um, but people do work incredibly hard there's so much creativity it's an amazing fashion scene but it seems difficult but I'm sure it's very difficult here
1: I mean the overheads
0: of New York City are not a joke.
1: It's so crazy. I was just talking to someone about it the other day. Just the cost of living is so high now. Yeah. I just don't even know how it's sustainable. They were yeah. saying the average, someone was telling me yesterday that the average cost of a New York City apartment per month is $5,000 a month. <laughs> average. Like, average. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's like more than double
0: from when I was living here even a couple of few years, years ago. Mm-hmm. I feel like during the pandemic, it just went... Like it's dropped for a while where everyone was like, "No way do I want to live in New York. Cause it looks hellish." Yeah." and then and, and then it just went it like went higher than it's ever been before when yeah. the city recovered. Yeah. I'm sure. I don't know if you noticed me when to get a coffee, that coffees are now
1: around eight to nine dollars.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> insane, but you know what? I will say I was here earlier in the year as well, and at the time I was like, "This is fucking crazy. I don't know how anyone does this. What's what's scary to me on this trip is like, I'm like, London is catching up, but the salaries are nowhere near comparable. Like, you know, a coffee in in London now probably works out the equivalent of like five to six dollars. I guess where it's different is you don't have the tipping culture. Anyway, I'm not going to go into like all the, you know, pedantic details of of like everything, but I'm honestly not finding New York as expensive as I did before, which is crazy, but Yeah. And I, I, you know, I hear I'm in a stable living situation, thank God, but I hear that rent in London has gone bananas and people are paying maybe not five grand, but honestly, like it's getting up there. And bear in mind, people in London are making probably half, if not less, Mm. than people in New York are making. So... What, where are we gonna go you have to go back to new <laughs> zealand at least you've got new zealand yeah. as an option i feel like that's the utopian vision
1: for people like that's true. when the apocalypse comes <laughs> i know that's why i like hold on to my new zealand passport for dear life whenever yeah. i go through the airport i'm so proud to like swing oh, around the, you hold on the to custom that custom person that's always like oh new zealand <laughs> when Great. it's the last place <laughs> on the planet with like fresh
0: running water and uh, mm-hmm. like a food supply <laughs> Um, but in the meantime, so I know you did some jobs in PR. You obviously had this long stint at, at Comme Garçon and DSM. But I'm really interested in like how you started out on your own and like who was your first client and how did that all work out?
1: Yeah, so um, basically after Comme Garçon and Overstreet, I was with um, I, I went to an agency called Nadine Johnson where I um actually departed from fashion for a little bit I was working in arts and culture I kind of wanted to take a little break and so I was handling a lot more like galleries and like special events and um uh like institutional stuff for Mm -hmm. her and uh it was halfway through that where I kind of found my I kind of almost had like a rebirth or like a refinding in New York where I was starting to go out a little bit more Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I think when you're not working those like grueling fashion hours I somehow had more time or something. Yeah. Or you're working in RPR is a very different pace. So um, I was going a little bit more. And then I think, you know, that's where some of the, the uh, what's it called? 360, well, full circle connections kind of came back from Dover mm-hmm. Street days because some of my old colleagues uh, started introducing me to some of the designers that I worked with today. So um, actually the first one was... I. My first ever fashion client was my friend, Eric Schlossberg, who worked with me at Dover Street Market. Mm-hmm. I helped him organize um, press appointments, you know, when he was launching his collection just as a friend. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of helped me, like, realize that how much I love doing that. And then, mm-hmm. um, and then the first ever brand I started doing a show with was Aria. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was back in, like, 2016, 17 or 18. And I was still working for Nadine at the time, and I was really just doing this fashion thing as a side fun fun thing for myself and then um and then later down the line I met Telfar yes and then Raul from Loire was also introduced to me through an old friend at Dover Street so this all kind of started to form during that time and I think those pivotal times were like 2017-2018-ish um and I started to become this like full-time art publicist but then part-time like hobby publicist for Mm -hmm. like the, the designers and then Um, I would do shows for them or like run little events for them. Um, Just because I was so, I found it just personally so exciting that I started to see like the growth of this, like the New York fashion scene that I've always wanted to see, but didn't quite see while during my time here. Um, And so I was kind of all for this kind of like new energy and wanting to, to kind of create or just help at least building the culture around it. Mm. And then And then afterwards, I ended up officially opening GKC in 2019. Um, A lot of it was really like the encouragement at that point of the people I was working with. Like, when are you going to start doing your own thing? And I was like, well, I haven't thought about it. You know, I honestly hadn't thought about doing my own thing at all, ever.
0: Um, What was was that, you think? Just lack of confidence?
1: Lack of confidence, or I just think... um, that was never really in my like life trajectory of like, I think that wasn't what I was brought up with. My Neither of my parents were entrepreneurs. They always mm. worked for other people. I don't think I was brought up with an entrepreneurial like.
0: Drive. You know, drive. Yeah, that yeah. was
1: never really suggested to me as an option. Right. So I didn't think of it as an option. Um. And I also felt like maybe I was a little bit more reserved and risk adverse. And so I think like, all of those things didn't even match up to what I ended up yeah, doing. And yeah. so actually I surprised myself by going out on my own. Mm-hmm. At that point, I really didn't think I was going to do my own thing. I Even when I was helping the brands when I was working for an AD, I really just thought I was, I didn't know what what it was going to lead to. I didn't really have an agenda set. Right, where, right, right. Um, I just was so excited about doing it. Well, you just weren't um, an egomaniac, maybe, yeah. <laughs> unlike
0: many people yeah. in New York. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> But I do think if there's any city that will bring an entrepreneurial spirit out of you, it is New York. Like the, the New York castle is such a real thing. Mm-hmm. When I think back on like the main years I was working here and just how like industrious and imaginative I was about how to make money, you yeah. know, and like always launching a new scheme. And I do think that what you were going back to that you were saying about sort of meeting people through going out here, which I find an interesting, it, it's kind of an interesting thing to me because I feel like so many People, especially post dynamic, have stopped going out. They've stopped going to work in real life, you know, physical work. Mm. Um, the kind of physical networking aspects, not that that's necessarily what you were doing, you were just going out for fun, mm. which I think is also something that's mm. been, I'm interested to see like all these younger kids, maybe not in New York, but other places who like don't think, don't get nightlife. Nightlife is not really a thing for them.
1: Mm.
0: Like for me, for you, for so many people I know that you know going out when we were younger is like how we Hmm. started getting work because we met all these people in non-professional contexts, bonded with them in this like very different way and then just somehow ended up working together years later Mm -hmm. and there's something about that process that like i just don't think you can replicate
1: through instagram follows or yeah you really can because it's kind of like uh irl vibe check yeah. Which I think is so important to yeah. like I mean at least like this line of work and fashion and communications. It's like if you are gonna well it's matchmaking, so it's like if you're gonna have a long term relationship together, we better yeah. like, you know, like each other's vibe or like yeah. at least to start and then we can talk about the work stuff, but you know, that's that element is so important, I think.
0: So when you're sort of like doing a vibe check for who for new clients, like is it what what is it? It's like, I get your client roster. I totally see, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I could articulate, I don't know if you could, but like, I understand even though these brands are so different, they share something. Yeah.
1: What is that thing for you? I think that thing is, oh, I, it's interesting because I didn't really go after that thing. I don't, even knew, I don't even think I knew what that thing was at the beginning. And I, later down the line, I also did reflect like what is it that really attracts me to the brands that we do work with? I think there is um, you know, I always look at it's not so much about uh, you know, there's a lot of different elements. I think at the at least at the beginning, it's kind of the sense of endearment that the brands have and also kind of like this pocket of I have never seen anything like this before mm-hmm. and it's so endearing that someone is doing it in this space because mm-hmm. at that point in fashion some things were starting to look somewhat the same. Mm-hmm and um and i think they i've always been really uh attracted to like youth and the coming of age and what that youth energy looks like and what mm-hmm. the future looks like and i think there was kind of this energy that was bubbling up and um seeing kind of like perspectives that have different representations yeah um, and their own self-expression that was yeah i think it just like there's this sense of fearlessness in their work that i find mm. really endearing and i that's what I was attracted to. Mm. Um, and I think maybe on a personal level, I tend to get drawn to like things that don't really quite fit the mold. Yeah. Um, because then, you know, you know, in the traditional space, people think there's no space for these people. Maybe it was like, kind of like more of like a self-reflective thing where I never felt like I fit in. So like, why can't I like this, but do this too? Mm -hmm. And why can't they not have learned how to design fashion traditionally but still be able to express it in the form mm. of clothing so I think there's just like a lot of those elements that um I kind of think about when I take say something yeah I mean the,
0: even just to look at Telfar and Noir as like two of your key clients they're so unique like that's a kind of a cliche thing to say but mm. their brand like footprint mm. um Telfar is obviously globally known now I feel mm. like Loire will be in a few mm. years and like if you know, you know, and Roel mm-hmm. is like an absolutely incredible <laughs> human being. <Yeah. laughs> um What was my point there? But um I, yeah, I feel like there's not many brands in the world now. Like you say, it's a sea of like homogeneity, whatever sells on the internet to be able to find these like deeply idiosyncratic brands and help them come to a, a market that enables them to sustain themselves and keep Mm. going. Cause they really are working independently. These people right? like, they're really like they're they're out here in New York hustling like anyone else. And, um, yeah, I think also, I guess when they want to work with you, they're like, you get it. You're going to help them communicate their brand in a way that it's not going to, that messaging is so nuanced that it could easily get lost. Yeah, exactly. How do you think about like, telling like there's so much noise online now and there's so many events in new york and everywhere and like i feel like this like when i was younger like a a cool brand event really stood out and now it's like there's 400 a week Mm -hmm. when you're like planning strategizing how do you think about how you're gonna sort of get people to pay attention
1: that's always kind of the question because i think you know we talk about that a lot and especially when you're in an agency setting and you're also serving like multiple clients and knowing that there's a billion things that's happening out there kind of how can we do things in a manner where people are absorbing the information but we're also being transparent about like the landscape and where things are so I think there's a lot of like assessments that we need to do even when you know, before events happen, like, you know, does this even make sense? Do we need to slow down? And I'm like, sometimes it's okay to slow down because there's yeah. so many things that are going on. Less is more. Sometimes less yeah. is more. And I think in New York right now, um, this year has been interesting because, you know, I think post pandemic, every, I mean, I think for the most part, people are back doing, you know, everything that what they want to do. But also to an extent, there's just more brands, more profiles, mm-hmm. more, of this, and sometimes we just have to dial back even I think like you know mm-hmm. it's 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 interesting because every year the answer of this question might be very different because um, I think there was a certain point in time where as you mentioned where New York didn't have these like special events so mm-hmm when you, you didn't definitely felt it and i feel like now we're in this stage i was saying to someone the other day like everyone's trying to like up one like up, like yeah. they're trying to do something more even more viral spectacular. Yeah, yeah create another viral moment because it is like the age of tiktok and social media or whatever mm-hmm. and it's kind of like again it's getting into a stage where i'm like oh my god i think things are starting to blur into one big TikTok mm. so <laughs> the world
0: is one big TikTok yeah um exactly. speaking of social media obviously that is a huge part of what you do you mm-hmm. must have to do now as you know PR it's, mm. as much as you like put on these great shows and parties it's unavoidable that so like you say the world oh. is one big TikTok I'm interested both in your personal approach to social media because you are I, I'm not on TikTok so I don't know if you're big on t- if you're big with
1: TikTok I have one but I don't make make them yet <laughs> yeah yet. I don't know how to I think that sounds like too much it seems for. really time consuming yeah
0: I'm like wow good luck with that no. guys but you are prolific on Instagram um but I feel like the way that you share stuff on Instagram strikes me as like very natural and not forced and not overwrought. like you're not sitting there thinking
1: mm-hmm. how am I going to present?" jia kwan, Jay kwan no. consulting <laughs> to my
0: audience you're just like this is some cool food i'm eating in yeah Korea.
1: yeah i think i don't think about those things i am um, it's someone was i was talking to someone about this because i was like i think i've always loved documenting so i mentioned like zanga like all of these earlier like friendster icq blog forms i was always really into these early forms of technology and ways of like expressing yourself all the way through now yeah but it wasn't so much a form of curation as it is a form of like documenting Mm. it's just kind of like it's almost like if I didn't post it I don't remember it because sometimes I look back at my archives and I'll be like oh yeah I did this today I mean your life sounds like it's
0: moving quite fast at the moment (laughs) so I guess it's an
1: easy way yeah so I kind of and also you know I think honestly one thing is the reality is um I really post some of all the stuff from my parents because my parents, my dad lives in China right now. My mom lives in Australia. I mean, they're gonna all both move to Chengdu in China soon, but we're so far apart. Right. Ever since I moved away, and I'm like, if I don't, po- you literally don't know what's happening in my life. I'm the only child. Same. Um, if you see my parents' Instagram, they're as avid posters really? as I am, and they have like two followers. Damn. I was so like, maybe we should at them. <laughs> my dad is like posts like t- like. 50 stories a day. I'm like, who are you broadcasting this to? For you. But yes, just like, like you're me.
0: broadcasting yeah. for him. Yeah, That's funny. Exactly. My mom also lives in a different country to me and I don't really post anywhere near as much as I used to, but when I was posting a lot and then I kind of stopped doing it, my mom would text me like, are you okay? Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. That I'm still good.
1: happens now to me. Like my friend's like, Oh, I haven't seen posts in two days. Are you okay? I'm like, yeah, just really busy with work. I was <laughs> <laughs> <It's laughs> exhausted. Yeah. Um,
0: so are you is social, I assume that the social media profiles of the brands that you work with are part of, are they part of your jurisdiction? Like not you necessarily posting the stories, but
1: yeah. you handle the social media. Um, uh, depends actually not all for all of them. Yeah. Um, there are certain brands in which we advise on, yeah. on that because, um, I think communications in general, when we're looking at a brand, we're not just like pring in the sense of just us pitching magazines equals article because i feel like the landscape is now so different so right. what we really do is like an audit um for for certain brands not all of them at the beginning just like how are you talking to your audience and mm. some brands are intrinsically really good at it like talk or like i don't like they're just they really, they really have nailed that they really nail it um You know, for certain brands, I'll just be like, oh, we should look at your web copy. We should look at your, like, how you express yourself on newsletter and how you express on social media. Does that match up with, like, the girl, or, or, like, does that match up with your voice that you want to express? express?" Yeah. And sometimes um, it's not in everyone's skill set to be able to, like, put that into words or keep that consistency, even though the idea is there. So we're there to kind of help. Yeah, that a little bit.
0: totally. I do a lot of like uh, copywriting and, and uh, brand storytelling and stuff. And like, it's kind of in, because we live in such a visual era.
1: Mm.
0: I find that um, often brands don't, they don't pay much attention to the actual like verbal written messaging, mm. but it's, it really, there needs to be the narrative in place. Otherwise it's so incoherent
1: to anyone on the outside. Right. Exactly. I think storytelling is a huge, huge part. Um, and I think that's one thing too, it's like in our field of work, um i think when you think of pr traditionally it's kind of like there is already something in place you hand it off to the pr mm. and they're like here pitch it right you know? yeah um but i think the landscape has just changed so much now i think we're, we're there for much on like the earlier part of the process yeah. making sure it's the right story from the beginning yeah and do we even tell the story is it time to you know yeah. do we have a story to tell because if we don't we don't we shouldn't rush it Like yeah. we
0: should use this time to do other things I think it goes back to what we were saying about there's so much noise that y- y- you can't just keep like changing direction. You kind of need to grab people with something quite clear. Unfortunately, I think that's really played into the way that a lot of creators feel they have to present themselves to get work. Um, I did have a question for you because I'm interested in, you know, now the the lines between sort of like, um pr for a brand and pr for a human yeah are so blurred and like everyone every everyone who is sort of like a creative in any capacity or even if you're not had this sort of like an imperative to post and promote yourself and like basically we're all doing pr for ourselves all the time yeah and i think some people like you seem to be able to very it's very easy for you to post and share and you know it's not forced it doesn't seem labored Mm. and agonizing Mm. for a lot of people the this imperative to have to promote themselves online or share their work or any of it is really challenging yeah how do you like how do you think about that both as a person and also when you're working maybe with a brand or a designer or an individual and they're like a bit reticent about how they can communicate themselves to this like huge beast that is the internet
1: yeah and it's really daunting i think like um I, I, I do this, I say this to designers all the time. I think at the end of the day, um, while social media is a helpful tool to act as a portfolio for many, it doesn't, it's not, I don't think it is the final micro break. I think it does help. I don't think there is an expectancy. Like, I don't think, that everyone needs to post that much and i think you need to do something that is true to yourself because if it's mm. going to feel agonizing or yeah. very forced for you then maybe that is not the right thing for you to do because that also is very transparent to the end audience right and i think we um we have worked with you know designers and individuals just to kind of be like what is something that feels the most natural to you and it maybe mm. doesn't have to necessarily be instagram grid who knows wh- how long that Will last until the next it's thing. It's incredible so, that it's still going. I know. <laughs> like, is this is still going. It's still going, and I'm just like, oh what will happen the day it, like does it disappears? Like, are we moving all of our content? You know, think about content migration. And
0: but I feel like crazy. that. I guess that kind of has happened with TikTok, but also not. Like, um, it's now more just like they occupy different roles, but you kind of feel like you need to do I mean I can't do TikTok for now never say never because you say you don't want to do it but then if you get to a point where like no one's looking at Instagram I definitely feel like you know when I lived in New York I used to host a lot of events I kind of had my own business and I made a lot of content and Instagram was so useful for me at that time because people saw it Mm-hmm. And now no one seems to see it unless it's got my face on it. You know, if mm. I share anything because of the way the algorithm works, yeah. and how they've changed all of that. Like, unless I put a selfie on top <laughs> of whatever yeah. I'm trying to promote, it doesn't get anywhere near the reach it used to. So yeah. we may just all have to adapt eventually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do. I, I think a lot about this era of sort of personal branding and that we're in um I've been thinking about it for years actually and, and I, I guess a lot of people now are at a point where they kind of want to or have tap out mm-hmm. but I think if you're again if you're a self-employed creative in any major city it's I don't it seems almost impossible
1: mm-hmm. yeah I think also there is like some truth to you know and we know this through social media too there is a level yes that acts like a form of personal branding but um can't undermine the the power of in IRL interactions and actually Mm. being able to meet people one-on-one to understand who you're yeah who you are as a person because you know oftentimes you know Instagram is so polished you you show what you want to show you don't want to show and so sometimes the person online is not quite the person in person Mm. and I think being able to still have that like you know you'd be surprised so many people you know i'm sure you've seen it too where like this person seems so like well like Mm -hmm. online and in person they're like so quiet and like so awkward yeah interesting yeah um but they're so vocal online but then not vocal in person so it's really interesting that dichotomy um i feel like
0: i hope you don't mind me using you as an example not that you come off at all badly online you come off super interesting but you in person you're a lot gentler than maybe someone who's just perceiving you online you know you're very uh, like known to be a super lovely woman <laughs> it's something that people always say about you there was a great Vanity Fair profile on you recently where they made a big point out of it and I guess because lots of people are so sort of like in mm, New York particularly like quite aggressive energy and you're yeah. like you have very calm oh, thank you gentle <laughs> energy your manners are immaculate you messaged me to say you're going to be five minutes late yeah. which is like many people would not have done that and it would have been fine, but I really appreciated it. What do you, how do you sort of like ground yourself? I feel like in New York, it's so easy to just get lost in a source.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it's always been so important. I think I really do have my dad to credit for that because I think he has taught me very, um, I think those like more like he's a big, big advocate for always reminding me to be, to treat other people how I would like to be treated. And I think he, um, until today, I don't really think they, my parents really understand like what fashion entails and what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I never grew up with brands. I think the idea of brands and materiality actually wasn't really in like our fam- family language. I don't think my parents could really name you any luxury brands, mm-hmm. you know, um, That's amazing. Good for yeah, <laughs> and I think because of that, I think, and then I didn't really get exposed to it until honestly, I, I remember during college, my friend had uh, bag had a really affluent friend, but I didn't know what that was. Mm. And I definitely was really late in the game because I just didn't have, um I had a sense of style. I would like things as I would see it, but I would not know what they are because my yeah. <laughs> brand knowledge was poor or like, I just didn't, wasn't kind of like, I didn't grow up with all of those things. And I, so I think there's something about it when, I I I don't see people at like material value. And I think my parents always have taught me to just always treat people with kindness. Mm. I mean, it's so simple. Like, I feel like that sounds so cliched in everyone and that's just like an upbringing thing. But I think for me, that's like incredibly important because I always feel like um, all things come full circle down the line. And um, mm. the people who have helped me the most have just been people who I've been We've had like a really kind and honest relationship since the beginning, regardless of who you are, or what you do. And New York is such a small city. It As really is. You like things, things that you did 10 years ago, someone who helped you 10 years ago, I still remember now like those little favors, um, mm. you know, and so I feel like I would never really break that and I would want to keep true to like who I am and just not mm-hmm. ever feel like there is a point where the ego is in the way or whatever it is, because you right. see a lot of that and yeah. I feel like very... <laughs> I see people change, and I feel you know, and I, I kind of just always have to like remind myself that you know it's like I don't want to do that. Yeah,
0: <laughs> totally. And what I feel like um in New York, sort of, you don't really need to see culture because culture is just like Aww. pushed in your face at every turn in a good way. You know, you're mm. constantly learning um, about everything that's new. Mm. Like it's just the the newness of this city. I mean, Aww. the clue is in the name, but it's it's crazy. Um, that said, like what you know what does your cultural intake look like or what's your life like outside of work hours like do you how do you sort of (laughs) channel into a different place outside of like downtown new york fashion instagram
1: um i do love going to see as many things as possible i think i am right now on in a phase where because i've been traveling so much when i get home i just want to be at home with my cat and my dog and Mm -hmm. like roll around on the bed and i'd be lazy but Um, when I do have time, I do love going to galleries. I actually consume everything but fashion. I do love fashion, but I wouldn't say I'm a huge fashion nerd. Um, Mm. I think I'm more of a cultural nerd, which is why I was attracted to the brands I was attracted to. Mm. And then, um, you know, I'm not really kind of like, you know, reading as, I read fashion news out of necessity, but not kind of as a hobby. Um, Mm. I'm actually really into food
0: yeah I, i've always I mean, been into food i get food like you eat the most <laughs> delicious food it's i don't there's not many people whose food content
1: i am in. but wherever you go i'm like well, how do you find all these places like you're I you're to find like hole in the walls oh my god funny enough when i was in before instagram when i was in australia and facebook was still your primary form of um communication i would it's so embarrassing I would take so many food photos and I would organize my food photos all of them because I was so into it I almost wanted to be um if it wasn't fashion I think I was going to go into food yeah um, like uh I was I was interning for like the recipes department yeah. for a food magazine do you I cook for. I do I wouldn't say I'm like an amazing I do cook certain things very well but, yeah um my, what's your favorite restaurant in New York at the moment Oh, honestly, I sometimes just like the very simple hole in the walls. Like, I like just like the dumping place that's on like Grand Street or something. Which one? I feel like um, there's so many dumping places around called, here. I never know which ones to go to. It's on Allen. It's on Grand Street between Allen and Eldridge, and it's mm. called Shu it's like a Chinese name. So I, I have to remember what the last two words are, but it's good. You might go, go there, there afterwards. Yeah. I love Chinatown. Yeah, I'll send
0: you that. It's great. It's yeah. also the only place you can still get a cheapie in New York. Yeah, I think it's either cash or memo,
1: but it's really... <laughs> That's fine. I'll, I'll do that. Um, do you like to read? Yeah. I You know, I have to say i used to read a lot more than i do now because mm. i feel like there's something that happened in my field of work where my attention span is not as oh everyone's attention span it's it's, screwed. i feel so bad i mean there's a few girls on my team that can they're so good like they read novels after novels i was like well oh, i don't think i can finish a novel the same way that i used to i used to read so fast and now i have to kind of do you have one of up. these I do. Yeah. I should, I should, or I do audio book now because my, my eyes, I feel very bad that I have a Kindle just for
0: anyone listening. That's what I'm pointing to my Kindle, but I will say it really helps me read a lot because it's just so, so light. So I can put it in any bag that I'm carrying Mm. and I just power through the pages. Um, but I wouldn't, I I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't advocate for an Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) book platform um have you read anything recently that you enjoyed or anything in the past that you returned to or would recommend
1: yeah um actually um it's interesting because i was just talking about my attention span so it's it's so not so much of a novel as um i was working with uh mindy sue who oh you know Wendy Cy- cyber so, yeah feminism? I have a copy of it right there. I actually so,
0: haven't read it but I've, it's been recommended to me multiple times
1: I have it right there oh you wow can borrow it oh, like, oh, oh yeah. thank you maybe <laughs> I will I'll
0: challenge myself to read it for at yeah so
1: well I, what I like about it is it's not um it's so interesting and also like the way that her mind works it it's not um a chronological book so it is it is composed as an index but it has so many amazing resources that kind of talks about like um like internet culture and its evolution, but also how feminism plays into it. So the way that she designed it was just incredible in a way that it one reference would go and reference mm. another page. So you can almost read the book like flipping back mm. and forth, beeping back and forth. Um, but it, they're like little tidbits, which I kind of enjoy. So yeah. it's not like a, a novel flip It suits, for,
0: it suits <laughs> a, a poor attention span. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you can, exactly. You can flick
1: between it. Sounds go yeah. the internet, like clicking on it. Yeah. So I did, I like that. And oh, the other, the other book I did read and mm, embarrassing to say, I, I read this like in 2021 because I had more spare time during the pandemic, but, um, my, my husband runs, um, a gallery and also which started out as a book club called wham so he actually oh is that your husband's project yes oh wow yeah yeah. okay because you do the pr for them right yes yeah Yeah, i get your emails (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. so that's 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 um, cute um but it started out as a book club so he reads a lot more than i do because he has to do the book talks
0: oh wow so uh because I remember getting something about the new reader there is
1: that separate or that was his project or? that was um we did a collaboration with the new reader which yeah. is which is my friend Eli and um he yes. Yeah, so I love me, that website yeah it's so good so Eli I've known since, in New York since the very beginning and it kind of just came full circle during the pandemic where it's like hey like Anatoly runs this book club I feel like you both have a huge affinity for books yeah like they both love books yeah and Eli has always had this um new reader platform that was more digitized and he's always wanted to translate into like an IRL mm-hmm. reading room mm-hmm, mm-hmm. exhibition so it was presented as like a two-month exhibition
0: yeah that was no really that fun. was great I was I was not, unfortunately not in New York at the time but I was like this is
1: very out of my street yeah so right, your history. husband's a big reader yes yeah. yeah yeah so he 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 does the booktops at to book talks at least once or twice a year and then I would Join them and then the last book i did read from the beginning to the end um which i still reference now because i feel like it did really impact the way i think about new york too is um this one called snakehead Hmm. um which is i think the author is patrick rayden Keefe. he uh was a new york times writer but um it's actually a book that is a little bit more historical and it's based on um this woman so it's a true story um, mm. and it's based it kind of really uh, outlines the history of chinatown in new york oh wow it dates back to um like the 80s and the 90s and how chinatown became chinatown because it was primarily like a Fujianese neighborhood and a lot of refugees came um, the book is called the snakehead because the snakehead is a um, colloquial term for someone who it basically is ahead head of like a human trafficking operation oh wow so the premise of the story is that there was an uh, Asian auntie called Sister Ping mm. um, and she was on like Mott Street or something. Um, and she was known to be very well respected in the neighborhood through the community. But she also, um, refugees did come over, like they would pay her so they she could bring them over but then give them jobs right. here. So in a way what she did was illegal but but because she grew the community and gave everyone jobs it really um she she got a lot of respect from the community but it was just really cool like that was the central synopsis but then uh the author also goes into little sub pockets of Mm. what was going on in new york at the time so he outlines gang culture because there's a lot of chinese triads during Mm -hmm. the time and he really details what the different chinese gangs were called what restaurants they were in. A lot of them are still here today. So reading it now and where WAM is situated in the heart of Chinatown. So a lot of things just went down. Yeah, (laughs) that's fascinating. And it's,
0: yeah, it's like a, it's a culture that you can't, it's underground. So like you need a sort of investigative writer to Mm -hmm. tell you what's actually going on because you've got the surface of Chinatown, the bustle and the energy of it. And it's so crazy. I mean, I love it. I love Chinatown in New York, but yeah to know like the actual underground and the underbelly of of Mm -hmm. what's happening there. Those are great reps. Thank you. Um, just before we close out, I just wanted to ask one more question, which is like, I guess with an agency like yours or a consulting firm like yours, where it's so much like rooted in, um, sort of like individual relationships and small brands and really just very unique, um, propositions how do you see the future of it because i assume it's not just make it as huge as possible and you know like how do you think about scale and growth and and like your future in new york or beyond
1: Mm, that's a good question i think about it all the time i i think i've never really set this out you know as i mentioned i didn't think i was gonna be a boss (laughs) (laughs) um fast forward five years i am a boss and my team is now um there's nine people, including myself. So I have eight employees. And I, I don't think I've really ever aspired to be one of those big, big agencies. I do mm-hmm. really like the intimacy of working and having that, you know, one-on-one with our clients, even though I'm not on every single call now, but I'm still very much involved in like all the accounts. I really have to still feel very passionate for the project that we're doing. And I think for us, um, I think to answer the other part of your question what I was so attracted to at the beginning was kind of like this New York energy, which I will always have like a dying love for New York. I think New York um, is going through like an interesting time. I think I think it's going to get itself back together, hopefully. Mm-hmm. I feel like there is a slight deterrence of energy that it once had that I feel like now is still on the build of being back. But I feel like there's enough brands and and artists in the city that really want to make it work. So I do feel like, Um, it's going through kind of like this resurgence of like maybe bubbling up to something more hopefully, I'm like hopeful That's so you feel like it lost it a little bit? I think so that's
0: crazy, that's interesting to hear because to me coming here having come here many times over the years especially coming from London, I'm like New York still feels so vibey to me really? Yeah I mean like I need to not say this on every single podcast. I always come <laughs> back to it, but to me, London feels very like flat at the moment. Really? Yeah. And kind of depressed and mm-hmm. sad. Like its yeah. head's hanging between its, you know, its tail's hanging between his legs a little bit. And I come to okay. New York and I'm like, oh, this city's like electrifying.
1: But I yeah. guess it's all relative. <laughs> it's all relative. I, I do know, I for like, I think I also still find New York super fascinating. And I think there is like this energy when you walk around. New York will always be New York. I think maybe I'm thinking... More specifically, in the industry where there's so much fashion, like yeah. how events operate, I think right. more into my line of work because there's something that happened. I think during the pandemic, where I think it's a, two things: things close earlier now. Yeah, they don't. You know, you don't. There's not that many places in New York where you can go until five or six a.m. It's just that's interesting. Maybe more out and there's some raves. There's like some raves yeah. are happening in Brooklyn and stuff, but in Manhattan. Things kind of it's like dead after two or three. So kids And yeah, dead around. after eleven. So okay, <laughs> I'm like well, I'm just so lucky. <laughs> yeah. Lucky. Yeah. But then yeah, so it's like that there's that. And I think there's also this wave of and it's not necessarily a bad thing. The kids are sober these days, you know. Yeah. I think people are really healthy, they're healthy yeah. and conscious. I also don't think that they party the way they used to. Right. Um, you know, I think you know, because there's social media, everyone is so seen. Yeah. So I think people also party with like they're like composed or something or right. i
0: don't know no it's a huge shift and it, that's why i kind of wanted to bring it up with you earlier because i i think it's a big it's gonna have a big it already is having a big impact on culture certainly what yeah. we understood culture to be in our generation yeah like exactly the lack of a nightlife to fuel it
1: yeah and that's nightlife is so important to like a city's like yeah i think so line. but i guess they just don't care yeah i hope it's gonna come back i think it there's like some fun things that are happening probably out out and like these, like, secret raves are happening yeah. that I haven't been to. Yeah. But um, I have hope. I did recently, you know, what was really inspiring was when I came back from Asia. Um, I was in Shanghai and Seoul. And they're also, like, you know, pretty much back on track in terms of post Everyone's out and about. But the energy of going out there is crazy. It's, like, that's electrified. Yeah. yeah. It's, Ooh. It's, like, the, so. it's so fun. <laughs> and I think there's something about... Sometimes I feel like that even going in Paris, people don't like go into the parties with their phones like up Oh no, air. I love partying in Paris. Oh. There's some un- Partying in Paris is yeah.
0: is unparalleled. It's not yeah. to use so much alliteration, but it's really liberating. Yeah, it's liberating. I love like, I don't party anywhere near as much as I used to, but like in the last few years of when I've wanted to like let loose.
1: Yeah. Paris. Paris is fun. Yeah. And like, I think in the same language, like in Shanghai, um, in Korea, and all well, the Asian kids, they're, they're very on their phones all the time, but it's interesting because when they're out, yeah, it's like liberating and like let loose. I really didn't, I like one of the most fun parties that I've been to in a while was in Shanghai, I was in this club and also they still have the mega clubs, which kind of yeah. is like fun for yeah, me yeah, because yeah. like, we don't have that in New York anymore than this place called System in Shanghai. Um it was for a Simone Lee, pa- it was a fashion week party, but, and usually fashion week parties for me, I'm like, oh, like I'm a little jaded because I feel like sometimes it doesn't translate. It, with the exception of certain brands, like I think Raul and like Topo yeah. will always bring that energy. Yeah. Not every single fashion party delivers because yeah. everyone's there yeah. to be seen. Um But the kids out there are like, <laughs> they are just going off mm. and it starts late. It starts at like 12 a.m it goes until wow. 6 a.m so it's okay well you've that.
0: heard it here first from gia that if you want to go to a fun rave you need to get yourself over to <laughs>
1: <laughs> shanghai, shanghai. shanghai. <laughs>
0: it's just a casual 15 hour journey yeah, exactly. <laughs> um yeah culture is shifting in many many ways the world is shifting we're in a period of extreme transition and this kind of culture that we came up in is disappearing and it doesn't necessarily mean that what's coming next is bad but it's different and mm-hmm. I guess we're we're on a generation that was on the cusp of like growing up expecting the world to be one way and then it like radically changing once mm-hmm. we've reached adulthood so it's a bit disorienting but there's still good stuff out there mm-hmm. um thank you for making the time to speak with me, G. I God. really appreciate it I hope you managed to get some rest
1: (laughs) um actually this weekend is what Halloween oh oh, it's like (laughs) well I'm not dressing up though I feel like I've I've started to not do Halloween you've done a good
0: your wedding was a a, like a you did enough costume like extreme fab
1: for dressing this year yeah and also my partner's birthday is always like two days for Halloween so I've had too many like themed no birthday. You too. can you can sit this one out exactly. Yeah. We're just having a chill thing at home. So wonderful. I'm All right. Thanks again. Thank you.